Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Actor, Part 2 The subsequent lustmaking was uninspired enough that my attention kept slipping to the back of the room where it seemed eyes watched from the illusion of a cave. I wondered if, for the first time, I'd spied a cameraman caught at his work. Yet the more I regarded the matter, the more dispossessed I became of the idea, speculating, alternatively, that the presence was not human at all. There was a kind of underlying abnormity to it, Something lurking between what could be seen by light and eye, and what never could be. Recalling the unusual impression of geometry to the building, as well as the lobby, I closed my eyes at the cave. There were eyes, like a herd of animals in the darkness, staring at me. A peal of ancient repose settling at the core of the bright circles. An audience, I thought to myself. For the first time in my career, I was being openly watched. Granted, it was not in the traditional sense one is usually watched. At least not that I'd ever been made aware. Leaving me with only the echoes of bright eyes tolling against my retinas, the vision died abruptly. The realization of an audience ended within the very same moments that concluded my scene of erotic devilry. We actors turned immediately from our roles and from each other, departing with no words between us, as was almost always the case. I cast one last look into the shadows, hoping perhaps for further recognition, even applause. But there was nothing, neither before nor behind my eyelids. A dream, perhaps, I reasoned. After all, the dim quarter was stained with all manner of irregularity. A waking dream was hardly remarkable. The ensuing days were barely discernible for their passage. Weeks like days, time like sleep. I had no idea how long I'd been living in my small room with a balcony, how many times I'd stood upon my outdoor perch, gazing into the quiet nothingness that glided softly above the dim quarter, imagining roles I'd never play, or perhaps played already. I still wrote, voluminously, in fact. Play after play passed solemnly beneath the scratching point of my pencil, which, oddly enough, never seemed to whittle down or blunt from constant use. 
An entire corner of my room was eventually dominated by my scripts and soliloquies. Heaps of manuscripts ever mounting. It soon became necessary to work beneath the flicker of candlelight, for only the gentle and inconstant glow lent to my efforts to craft the uncraftable play. It acted as the quicksilver required to further, if not complete, my work, my opus. I wondered if I'd already been a successful playwright and was only now cobbling the beginnings of a memoir. Everything had become uncertain, and I couldn't help but feel grateful for the fact. It was a knock at my door that finally pulled me from reverie, from the dream that was slowly becoming my life. I had every reason to expect an envelope containing my next role, or perhaps a trunk in addition to my work orders, containing wardrobe and props. But this proved not to be the case. A bespeckled man stood on the other side of the door. Please forgive the late hour, he said with a wilting smile, clearly unnerved by something, likely the coarse surroundings of a haunted apartment building. I am a scientist, and I've traveled some time to get here. I was hoping to perform my duties and depart as fast as I am able. Might I ask you a few questions about your time spent living here? In the quarter, I mean. Being more than happy to accept company, I agreed to his questions. It took only a few minutes to set up the small collapsible table that generally leaned unused in the corner. And I managed two chairs easily enough. I arranged everything so that we might benefit from the small bit of moonlight managing past the hazy cloud cover right in front of the French doors that led out to my beloved balcony. Offering my guest a cup of coffee, I expanded upon his mention of the quarter. The dim quarter is a strange place, to be sure. I feel the light struggles more than it's accustomed to here. And, if you'll excuse what might be a bit of wild conjecture, I'd say that reality itself seems to find it difficult here too. The scientist who'd yet to name himself withdrew a small notepad and began scribbling notes. He glanced up only long enough to look at me in the eyes and ask, And what makes you say that? That reality finds the dim quarter unaccommodating. It's a funny thing to say, I admit. But after living here for however long I've been here, I can't help but to find the place unaccountably strange. Take for instance this view. I gestured beyond the open French doors. It's never the same. I can't recall ever seeing the same view twice. Mind you, I'm not suggesting the angles of the place are all off, disallowing a consistent vista, but rather I suspect I might be looking out over a completely different city every time the sun sets. 
The scientist's hand seemed palsied after scribbling non-stop during my explanation, or rather, my conjecture. And what about you? Do you feel strange for having lived here, for however long you've lived here? My guest asked, seeming legitimately concerned. I feel fine. More than fine, in fact. I've never felt ill, hungry, or thirsty. I also suspect that neither dust nor grime accumulates here, save for whatever is necessary to affect the proper look of seeming haunted, and perhaps ancient. Also, while I have both a bedroom and a bathroom, I can't recall using either, not even once. The scientist had just finished with another bout of note-taking, this time looking up in such a way as to avoid glancing beyond the balcony. He said, I've heard this talk before, this not having to tend to biological necessities and so forth, though not about the dim quarter, but about the great darkness of 1999. May I ask you how you came to be here? I had to be careful how I answered as I was never to reveal my status as a criminal, as an actor. I was staying at a mercy house in Gibbleton, but their funding ran out and I was obliged to move on. I was lucky enough to come into some work, though. A man in Delaware took me on as his biographer. He sends me chapters and I edit and embellish them for publishing whenever that time comes. I see. So you're a writer, then? That's hardly surprising, the scientist replied, not looking up from his notes. Really? Are there a lot of writers here in the quarter? I can't say I've met any of them if there are. I was interested to hear why my being a writer was hardly surprising. Still not looking up, the scientist answered. No, not writers specifically. I meant that um, creative types in general call the quarter home, and they all feel that something is off, that reality is off, and importantly, they aren't particularly bothered by the fact. And you think they should be? Bothered, I mean. I almost raised my voice in response. The idea that reality couldn't be improved upon by its lessening seemed absurd on its face. My unintentional zeal finally brought my guest out of his notebook. I say, you think it's a good thing that reality should be compromised? That all manner of nonsense should be allowed to run rampant and in place of the steadier hand of logic? His accusative eyes reminded me of my father's. I was nearly as accomplished an actor as I was a murderer. I killed the man on the spot, reaching across the table with my knife, severing the cords of his throat. It wasn't his preference for a logic-governed reality that caused me to act thusly, but rather his openly voicing such an idea. The possibility his suggestion might indeed impose some level of stability upon the quarter. I'd become so accustomed to fictions that the murder seemed unreal to me. As if I hadn't, in fact, killed a man, but only acted out the part of a killer. Some measure of reality settled over me, my actions having failed to stem its occurrence. 
Accordingly, there came the practical concern of consequence. How would my actions, taken freely, affect my future as an actor living within the dim quarter? I couldn't fathom leaving the apartment building, so running was out of the question, which left the problem of disposing of the body. Before moving it, I took the liberty of emptying its pockets. This proved a spectacular revelation. Unfolding the letter the scientist had stuffed into a back pocket, I read the instructions imparted to him. Go to room number 517. Act the role of a scientist. Ask the resident the questions written on the back of this paper. Write down his responses. I had killed a fellow thespian. Perhaps I was wrong and the whole thing was indeed a scene, albeit a truly realistic one. I wondered how many such scenes I'd been a part of, totally unaware of its contrived content. Also, why was the man not wearing a mask? So many questions raced through my head, my world tipping over. Checking both sides of the front door, I found no overlooked envelopes that might enclose instructions for a scene. Assuming the authorities were en route, I resolved to wait for them, as escape was impossible. If this was a scene, then the whole thing must have been captured by some hidden camera. Cross-legged, I waited in front of the door for hours, bloody knife in hand, dead body in plain view. Again, time in the quarter was an imprecise thing, passing with no discernible nature, so how long I waited is unknown to me. When I finally stood, perplexed at the lack of reprisal, and not at all tired or sore from my possibly protracted vigil, I decided to store the body, if not hide it. Not wanting to render any of my tiny rooms unusable for lack of space, I decided to place the body in the corner of my bedroom, a blue checkered blanket covering it completely. Apparently, while the apartment house was permitted to rot, bodies were not. As far as I could tell, weeks might have passed and still the body remained in pristine shape. Well, at least as far as its composition, if not its overall condition. The man was homely as well as quite unfit. There was indeed a bizarre physics at work in the quarter. A logic of mood and aesthetic that seemed to inform, if not altogether govern, the actions of light and gravity and matter, and perhaps even the powers of the mind. Perched upon my balcony, as was my custom, mulling the new strangeness of my predicament, the unthinkable happened. An envelope was slipped under my door, 
instructions for my next role. Yet how could this be? They must know of my crime, how I had killed a fellow actor. Yet they continued as if nothing had happened. Even so, there was a significant departure from the usual protocol. Should handwriting be considered protocol? It was all in cursive. Long, swerving loops and snaking lines replaced the traditional starkness of typed instructions. And while my lines could often be quite flourished and soaring, the directions of how and where to recite them was not. This communication was filled with a vitality, almost a whimsy, that was certainly not common. It read, Sleep without dream is like eating without tasting, or poem without meter. There must be qualia for every ounce of quantity, any less and we are mere animals, or worse, machines. But what if we, you and I, could reverse the order of importance, or their train of causation? What if qualia determined quantity? the solids of the universe mere shadows of song and sense. If any of this moves you, then make your way to the forest at the east end of the quarter, where the shadows have the heft of spider webs, and the air wanders like lost whispers. A man will come, and he will want for knowledge. The following lines are the only wisdom you should impart. But please, feel free to ad-lib wherever you like, so long as the general gist is adequately conveyed. Have fun with the role. Below this message came my lines, reading, There is nothing but trouble for those who go poking their noses where they don't belong. And your noses are no longer welcome here. Neither are the rest of your bodies. There is wonder here for those who wish to seek it out. But be certain of this, there is no knowledge to be had, nothing for your vulgar sciences to poke or prod. Nothing at least that won't poke and prod you back. Take this, a friendly warning. There be monsters here. While I wasn't given any instructions for my appearance, I chose something that seemed to complement the mood of the message, and in that effort, discovered something truly wonderful. The man I'd killed, the conscripted thespian, had been replaced with a makeup table, the man's body divided and converted into the cosmetics of my craft. There were powders and paints and brushes and sponges, all of them culled with such care and precision from a body that would not spoil. It was with great vigor and appreciation that I dressed my own skin in the repurposed corpse of my one and only visitor. The effect such natural materials had upon my appearance was glorious. I only barely recognized myself in the reflective glass of the French doors, 
my aspect almost ghostly, which was the look I intended to effect for the role. A role that afforded me far more liberties than I was accustomed to. But this was the dim quarter, and I was beginning to sense its influence upon everything. Even, it appeared, the work I was to perform within its borders. Much like the view from my balcony, I found the sights from the stairwell had changed, if only slightly. Granted, I might have been mistaken, but it seemed as if the ceiling of the building, which was visible from the stairs when one looked upward, was much higher than before. Mold and rot and shadows were also misaligned with my memories of them the disordering of constellations that foretell change, at the very least. Sailing past the building manager, if he was indeed present within all the creeping mist that had collected upon the ground floor, I noticed the abundant pale blue light had gained an additional dimension temperature. The stuff seemed cold where it rested upon my skin, even raising goose flesh. My first step beyond the curtain threshold failed to summon a feeling of departure or transition from the inside to the outside of the building, as if I had not actually left the structure, but instead entered a much larger room within it. Indeed, as I walked through the pale, colorless lanes, I thought I could see the skeletal presence of rafters closing overhead, a massive wooden firmament scarcely visible for all the brooding mist and roiling darkness. Despite the vagueness of my stage directions, I found the travel instructions contained within the letter I'd received easy enough to follow. The feelings the words summoned were the means by which I navigated, as if they, and not the visible landmarks, were the only guidance I required. Whispered winds and gossamer shadows unfolded like old memories, and I found myself at the very spot I'd been written to attend, where I was to meet this quester for wisdom, the one to whom I would recite my lines, the threat. Not to belabor the point, but time remained as uncertain as ever within the quarter, my new role seeming more like a vigil, though a vigil that courted more than merely the meeting with this person. The world seemed to soften, its hard edges melting away, and once again I felt the shelter of the old apartment house with the balcony that looked out over hundreds of cities that always vanished with the dawn. It was then I began to wonder if the feeling was from the house or something else. If the dim quarter was the house, and the house the dim quarter, the two of them divisible only to open eyes. And for that reason, I closed my eyes against the darkness and the quarter, so that I might see. A voice called out to me before anything could transpire, 
a voice filled with all the missing hard edges from the quarter. Opening my eyes, I saw a tall man melt from the gauze of night and mist, a purposeful gait bringing him into view. Covered almost entirely by a long black coat, he stood just a few feet from me, but I felt like we faced each other from distant mountaintops. He peered around, his eyes narrowed to slits. He was frightened. Your um, coming here was no accident, you know, he almost whispered, wincing as if the mist had stung him. There are only accidents, good sir. Nothing but a foolish conspiracy of coincidences says otherwise. My reply was swift and unbidden. I'd never taken such liberties with a role, never improvised so much, and yet there I was, as if I were not a criminal at all, not even an actor, but a writer scripting his own scene, moment by moment. A sculptor, with his hands upon the clay. We, we sent you here with purpose, but it seems things have gotten all out of control. I need you to come with me immediately. Immediately, do you hear me? The man tried to fill his words with some measure of authority, even menace. But it was the dim that had its way in the quarter, shrinking the man's thunder to a strained and desperate hiss. There was a temptation to recite my lines, not to ad-lib at all. But I thought better of it, for I realized, in that very moment, they weren't lines at all, merely words that had been written. I had been given license to say, as I pleased, so long as whatever I said carried the intended warning. Could this all be some form of test, I wondered, perhaps one designed to weigh my fitness for freedom? Although it was curious that such an opportunity should follow on the heels of my having murdered someone, even though there was now no proof of the act. Hoping for the best outcome, I responded passionately, if perhaps a bit too frankly. You, a robber of freedom, who lock men up inside invisible cages and watch them from darkened places, are no longer welcome here. None of your kind are. You saw no value in the savage freedom that was once mine to ride, and so you stripped me of it. But the quarter means to replace it, and as such, jailers have no place here. Now go, whilst you are still able. You've made a mistake, mister. One we'll, we'll see that gets corrected. I wasn't certain if I'd ad-libbed my lines or channeled them from somewhere deep, both within and without me. The man said nothing more, his face nearly white beneath the unseen moon, beneath the colorless light of the quarter. Withdrawing sickly and silently, he staggered back to his place beyond the quarter, presumably where he'd been instructed by those who'd scripted his role. And I went back to my room, through the mists that seemed like open arms.
once back within my room, which was now located upon the top floor of the apartment building, the floors below dressed even more smartly in polished ruin and wreckage, I settled onto the bed and stared out through the French doors. Doors that opened to a balcony that boasted an even loftier view. Yet the transformations around me stirred no emotion. Their oddity felt fitting, akin to the methodical arrangement of bricks in a wall. For the first time since my arrival in the quarter, fatigue washed over me. My eyelids grew heavy, and within moments I drifted into slumber. Though it wasn't sleep like I'd previously known it. It was more like opening a secret door, a passage that led into the hidden spaces of the apartment building, even the quarter itself, if they were ever distinct to begin with. I saw the place as never I had, as if perched atop the greatest balcony in all the quarter. The dream seemed to be a place, a chamber, at the very top of the grey, shifting sky. Beyond all the sights I could see, I was drawn to one spectacle in particular, a curving line of lights that wound out from the east end of the quarter, where the man I'd been scripted to reproach had both appeared and subsequently vanished. It was a procession of men, each clutching a flashlight, dressed in attire seemingly designed to wade through radioactive hazes or potentially lethal vapors. Trailing them were military vehicles, illuminated to the quarter's maximum capacity, which is to say they were no brighter than whispers set aglow with moonlight. Despite their formidable presence and weaponry, there was a hint of hesitancy as they approached my apartment building, and in this dreamscape, solid barriers held no sway over my sight. As they penetrated the fabric threshold of my home, I observed each individual with crystal clarity, noting the wavering of the dim beams from their flashlights as they scaled the stairs, leaving the now vacant metallic enclosure behind. Outside, the military machines encircled the building, their own muted beams of light battling in vain the ever-present mists that wreathed the structure. Floor by floor the men ascended, opening doors at random, flashing their lights and aiming their weapons into vacant rooms and at empty beds. At last they reached my apartment, its threshold appearing like the gates of some dilapidated palace, a large set of crumbling wooden doors, the chipped marble head of a coyote leering down from above the entrance. Once inside, they surrounded my bed where I'd fallen asleep, though they did not find me there. Only an envelope. One of the men opened it and held it out to the others. With eyes that could see all, I read the note that was clearly left for me. The lettering and spirit similar to the last I'd received. It read, You are the quietly honest spirit of the dim quarter, poured into the shape of a humble actor. 
you recognize that existence is mere performance, that reality is but a mask. Though you once shed this mask, others compelled you to wear it once more, perhaps indefinitely. Yet, in the quarter, you reign supreme, intent on imparting an enduring lesson. Now, the effects budget for this scene is unlimited, so have at it, and above all, have fun. Given that I was dreaming, I wasn't sure if I'd written the note, or if my employers had. Perhaps having found a way to film my very dreams. In either case, I excelled at both killing and acting, which made the new role a pleasure to perform. Without hesitation, I entered my apartment, appearing behind the questing men. Jumping at the sight of me, they focused their trembling lights upon my face. Casting off my mask, I lifted my hand to my face, where the outline of a coyote's grinning jaws prevailed. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.